we could see a day where our kids can't actually raise food anymore. So regenerative is by its very definition, bringing something to a higher or more worthy state. There are so many gifts in regenerative agriculture when we understand that we can't separate our health from the planet. And if we're degrading our planet, we are degrading our own health. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are talking all things meat and the different and sneaky practices the meat industry does and how there are better options for the planet, the animals, and our own health with Autumn Smith. Autumn also shares her personal story on how she suffered from severe IBS for years and how all her symptoms went away in 30 days. You definitely don't want to miss this episode. Before we get to the episode, it's time for today's bite of knowledge. Brown rice syrup. Ever heard of it? Ever seen it? That is today's bite of knowledge topic. Is it healthy? Is it good for you? It's in a lot of products and we're going to break it down to you right now. We're going to talk about what it is, how it's made, and the possible side effects or what it can do to the body and why are so many companies using it, health food companies to be exact. Obviously, a lot of people are aware of the negative effects of corn syrup, right? High fructose corn syrup. So because a lot of people are avoiding high fructose corn syrup, companies have caught on and they're switching to alternatives like brown rice syrup, making consumers feel a little bit better about their choices um, because obviously the company, the brand wants people to purchase their product. And if they they know they have corn syrup in their product, people probably will not purchase it. They are getting smarter. So what do they use instead of corn syrup? Brown rice syrup is basically just another alternative. It seems to be hidden and not so hidden in almost everything these days. It's in so-called nutritional bars, cereal, healthy ice creams, protein powders, even protein powders. Yeah, that's right. Because brown rice syrup can actually be dehydrated into a powder to be put in dried foods as well. That's if you read on a label, it'll say brown rice syrup solids in the uh, ingredient list. So it's even in yogurts. You'll find brown rice syrup in many vegan friendly foods to replace honey right? Because a lot of, if it's vegan, people remove the honey to keep it vegan friendly. But is it really healthy for you? Well, first of all, you never see a brown rice syrup hive, right? (laughs) As you would honey, nor would you see sweeteners growing off of trees. So it's obviously manufactured, right? I mean, it comes from rice, but it is man-made. It goes through a process, aka It's processed sugar. Though sadly, you will see companies claim it as unrefined sugar if they use it in their products. How is brown rice syrup made? It's created by breaking down the starches from cooked rice and exposing them to enzymes that are turned into smaller sugars. The result is a thick, sugary, sweet syrup of which all the nutrition from the rice is stripped away. The sugars in brown rice syrup are 52%, maltose 45%, and glucose. So maltose is a, it's also a glucose molecule as well um, as another type of sugar, right? But if you've done the math, that's 100% glucose. The glycemic index, get this, you guys, 98. That's super high. Talk about a blood sugar spike being raised to the roof. That's just the start. Brown rice syrup has also been linked with arsenic, even organic. So it doesn't matter if it's organic or not. It's been linked with arsenic. Um, Obviously, if you think about it, brown rice syrup is concentrated from the actual rice. So it's actually even worse. There was a study that showed rice malt sweetened baby formulas have 20 times the arsenic of the non-rice malt versions. It's just another reason to make your own nut milks, desserts, choose your own snack uh, snack bars, make them and choose your protein powders very carefully. There are other, of course, healthy options 
for snacks and protein powders. Some of them, for example, New Zest protein powder. That's something I created with New Zest, uh, the digestive line. It does not have any fake sweeteners, no brown rice syrup, obviously. Further Foods, uh, grass-fed collagen. It's another great one. No brown rice syrup, no stevia, obviously no high fructose corn syrup. Hue Kitchen Bars. Those are another great chocolate that I love. I mean, there's so many other chocolates that I love too. I'm just like naming out a few here. Santa Barbara chocolate. That's another great one. So there are obviously healthy options out there, but unfortunately, healthy quote unquote healthy bars, healthy protein powders, they do put that brown rice syrup or brown rice syrup solids in them. So, you know, it's just a matter of reading labels, right? So let's let's talk about glucose versus fructose. Glucose versus fructose. So fructose doesn't raise blood sugar levels nearly as much as glucose. So as a result, it is thought to be better for people with diabetes. Glucose can be metabolized by every cell in your body. Fructose can only be metabolized in significant amounts by your liver, okay? So uh, high fructose intake has been associated with insulin resistance, fatty liver disease, and increased triglyceride levels. Since glucose can be metabolized by all of your body cells, it shouldn't have the same negative effect on liver function. Keep in mind that none of this applies to fruits, which are entirely healthy for you. So healthy whole fruits, very good for you. I don't want you to be scared of fruit here, but of course, everything in moderation. And the reason is that fruit, yeah, they do contain small amounts of fructose, but they also contain plenty of nutrients and fiber. So it's not just concentrated, right? You're also getting other things from the fruit, uh, which balance it out. Back to brown rice syrup. What is considered a good substitute, right? Well, me personally, I love raw honey. It's great because it's not actually just made by nature. Bees, hello, love bees. But it's not made in a lab. It's literally just like unprocessed, which is amazing. Just to brief you, raw honey contains over 200 combined vitamins, different flavonoids, and living enzymes, over 200 combined. So it's also antibacterial, antimicrobial, and also used to help treat digestive disorders such as colitis. But it actually also contains healing benefits and living enzymes. Whoop! Can I get a whoop? All right. So, and this applies to raw honey, right? Not heated, not processed, raw, living honey. They do contain living enzymes and healing properties. I have an entire blog post on my on my a website about the the benefits of raw honey. It is truly amazing. I just can't speak more highly of raw honey. You'll find that it is a little bit high in fructose compared to other sweeteners. But sadly, these statistics and reports you'll find fail to mention pure honey is also more concentrated, so you don't need a lot. Rarely are you adding like, you know, a quarter cup of honey to something unless you're making a recipe, right? You don't need a lot. A little goes a long way. So when comparing apples to apples, right? Tablespoon to tablespoon to other sweeteners, of course, the fructose would be higher, but rarely do you see a recipe calling for a cup of honey versus a cup of sugar, right? A lot of recipes call for two cups of sugar, or I mean, bare minimum, a cup of sugar, you're not going to be adding a cup of honey to something. So it's kind of like comparing espresso to regular brewed coffee, right? You don't need a lot. I, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here. Honey is for another another subject. Anyways, that's a great substitute. Also, you can use uh, yacon syrup. That's also great. It's also a prebiotic, yacon. Even a little coconut sugar, that's fine. Dates, date syrup, yacon syrup, those are great options. But again, like you don't need even sugar. Like even me for honey, like I don't add it to a lot of different recipes that I make because I just feel like I think personally, I, I've stripped my body from needing a lot of sugar that I actually don't need sweet in my sweets. <laughs> I know that's kind of sounds funny, but I really can appreciate the the true taste and flavors of the ingredients that I'm using in the recipe. Like I don't need to add all this sugar 
to enjoy a recipe. And unfortunately, in today's society, people do. They won't eat it without it. And it's just kind of, it's sad, honestly, uh, that people just, they can't wrap their head around having a dessert that's not sweet and going to give you like a cavity. Like it's just, uh, again, I'm going off on a tangent here, but to my point, you know, always check ingredients. If you, I mean, it's up to you of what you put inside your body, uh, read them carefully. So for example, I I do want to mention ingredients. Let's just say you pick up a protein bar. So, and you're reading the ingredients, the ingredients listed in anything, um, they're listed in order of the percentage used in the recipe, right? So if a food bar lists brown rice, brown rice syrup, almonds, cashews, pumpkin seeds, dates, coconut, etc., brown rice syrup, if that was the first ingredient, the first thing in the ingredient list, that is the main meat of the bar. <laughs> you know, if brown rice syrup is maybe the last ingredient that you're reading, there's obviously going to be less. They haven't used as much of it, right? So they list, just so you know, they list the ingredients in accordance to what is mostly used in that bar or in that protein powder or whatever the recipe is. Further down the line, the the least it has in that item. So there's your little tip on reading ingredients and choosing the right sweetener. Again, up to you, but I tend to just stay away from brown rice syrup. It's just a sugar bomb. Uh, It really has no nutritional value as opposed to honey, which has vitamins, nutrients, healing properties, living enzymes, all that good stuff. And there you have it. That's today's bite of knowledge. Welcome, Autumn, to the show. Thank you, Bethany. It's quite a pleasure. I'm just glad to be here. Thank you so much. I know you're such a busy woman and it it's an honor to have you here and to share your story. So I'm just going to dive right into it. So first of all, can you tell us a little bit uh, about who you are? Yeah. Well, my name is Autumn Smith and I co-founded Paleo Valley and Wild Pastures and Wild Pastures Burger Company. And the reason I did that is because I had a lifelong struggle with irritable bowel syndrome. Started when I was about 10 and the doctors at the time, we now know irritable bowel is kind of like a waste basket diagnosis. Sometimes people in the industry call it the, it's BS diagnosis, meaning Mm -hmm. we just don't really know what's wrong. We're going to rule out major pathology. And so my parents did all they could and nothing really changed. And so in high school, I started developmental health issues. We now know there's this direct connection between the brain and the gut. At that time, we didn't know it. And so I got put on psychiatric meds and, you know, got therapy and my parents spared no expense. They were amazing, but they didn't help either. It actually just seemed to make things worse. I started to get a little bit hopeless and feel broken. And so I turned to substances and I drank a lot and I experimented a lot and I, you know, got kicked out of school, got kicked out of my parents' house before I even graduated high school. And um, I was still, you know, encouraged to go to college because I was a dancer, grew up a ballerina. I was excited about that. Eventually moved to Los Angeles and was still, you know, making things happen, but I was really struggling. I was smiling (laughs) and suffering Mm -hmm. in silence. And my husband, when we finally moved in together, could see past uh, my persona and this um, air of, oh, it's fine. And he said, you know what? We have to do something about this. We're newly married. Your quality of life is terrible. You're in pain. You uh, are emotionally all over the place. And so we saw one last doctor in LA and they told us the same thing. You have IBS, you know, I, there's not a lot we can do. So he got on the internet and he found back in 2007 that people were noticing remission of their symptoms digestive symptoms specifically with dietary intervention. I thought it was silly, uh, that it wouldn't matter at all. And so I just kind of, I placated him by going to the farmer's market and switching out the processed foods I had been eating. And, and in 30 days, all of my digestive symptoms were gone, which just made, I was amazed because at the time I was working as a celebrity fitness trainer, I thought I knew a lot about being fit and well, but, but when a dietary change was that powerful, I decided to go back to school and I was literally working for Tracy Anderson and I love her company and her mission, 
but I decided I needed to be able to share this piece, this piece about how to not only be fit, but also to be well. And we went into physical products because I don't like to spend a lot of time in the kitchen. It's funny as a holistic nutritionist, but I'm, I just like to be out in the world and, you know, it's just not my thing. And so we wanted to create a way for people like me to still have the staples that allowed them to thrive and to choose health and to not make it something that took inordinate amounts of time. So, wow. I want to kind of just rewind just for a second. So first of all, um, can you share a little bit more about what your symptoms were, like what you were experiencing? And then um, also how long did this go on? Yes. It started when I was about 10 and it was like, it was because, you know, you can have the diarrhea type, the constipation type or a mix. And I really just had this crazy bloating that like, it felt like a ball in my stomach, like a pit. Like it just like was a tightening. Sometimes I would look pregnant. Uh, it, it was always unpredictable. So this wasn't a daily struggle necessarily, but sometimes it would hit and it would hit really hard. And I remember making my mom take me to the emergency room because I was like, I, I have to be pregnant or something. I don't know. It's just like the pain is so intense. And they were just like, oh no, you, you have gas. And so I was like, oh, well, it's really um, unbearable. And it was kind of just that intermittent yet unpredictable and really intense sometimes that kind of just like made me fear, you know, different foods and different social engagements. And my skin was breaking out. I didn't realize it at the same at that time, but digestion and skin are linked too. So yeah, it was uh, mostly just gas and just like painful, like pit feeling in my stomach. Well, and then for those that don't know, like, yeah, it, it, it is, it could be gas, right? But gas is so painful for those that don't experience IBS and they're like, oh yeah, I ate some beans. I'm a little gassy, but no, this kind of gas is like trapped inside your stomach, cannot be released. And, and then it just causes like brain fog or whatever. Right. So you were still having trouble when you got married. Yeah. I absolutely. Yeah. I would go to work as a celebrity fitness trainer and um, come home. I looked so fit, but I would collapse and I would cry and I would look pregnant. So I'd have these jacked arms, but this belly that was huge and bloated. And he was just, I mean, he thought it was funny at first. Like, what, what is this? This looks crazy. And why are you collapsing and thinking you need to go on antidepressants and, and um, just kind of a mess. And so yeah, I was really struggling. Um, well, did you try, like, did you think you had like SIBO or did you think you had parasites or, you know, did you do all the testing? I did. I did. I had parasites. I did. I had blastocystis hominis. And I also had, I didn't ever do SIBO testing, but I would almost guarantee that I did have some degree of SIBO. And I think I'm one of those people who's kind of just maybe prone, like too many carbohydrates, especially in the refined form, just doesn't work well for me, even after years of kind of like gut rehab. I mean, it's a lot better, but I would say that, yes, I had definite gut dysfunction, probably some level of intestinal permeability, even though that wasn't necessarily tested for and definitely an intolerance to wheat. I'm very sensitive to gluten and it's all I wanted to eat as a child, which is often one of the telltale signs. And I don't do great with dairy either. Sugar is also very problematic. I've realized not always I can kind of get away with it, but my main symptom when it comes to sugar is my mood. It's very mm -hmm. interesting. But the day after I eat refined sugar specifically, I just, it, I feel sad. And we now know that sometimes the brain is the area that uh, the inflammation can manifest in for some people. So it's right. all been just like slowly unraveling the pieces. But yes, parasites were a part of it. SIBO was probably a part of it. And my processed food diet was definitely a part of it. Many meat and poultry providers source their meats from outside the United States. But Wild Pastures is different. Instead of getting cheap meat from questionable sources and paying a premium on freight to bring it halfway across the world, they work closely with farmers who raise their animals on open, lush pastures, raising healthy, happy animals in a way that is humane, sustainable, and protects and restores the environment. Wild Pastures meats are 100% grass-fed and pasture-raised on regenerative farms that never use synthetic fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides, hormones, or antibiotics. I personally love their whole chicken and ground beef, but you can customize your own box with many more options like ribeye steaks, 
pork-free beef chorizo sausage seasoned with only organic spices, bone-in chicken thighs, drumsticks, breasts, and they even carry seafood like wild-caught Alaskan cod. Wild Pastures delivers the lowest prices possible, providing the highest quality meats straight to your doorstep. If you want 20% off, just click the link in the description of the show. So just scroll down and click the link provided in the show notes and 20% off will be automatically applied at checkout. Both women and men can get infections in the urinary tract. But if you're a woman, you are 50% more likely to experience at least one in your lifetime. And in most cases, several. It's painful and frustrating to get rid of. And most of the time we are prescribed antibiotics. Now, antibiotics do have their place in certain situations, but they are way overprescribed. And if there's a natural solution to something, I'm one to always opt for the natural. So I wanted to share about Life Seasons Urinary X, which is an all-natural supplement targeted to ward off UTI infections and yeast overgrowth. Feel relief in 24 to 48 hours from this special blend of natural ingredients that help specifically manage bacteria in the urinary tract. Life Seasons uses plants and fatty acids like caprylic acid, cranberry, uva ursi, and grapefruit. They also use D-mannose, which is a naturally occurring sugar with anti-adherence properties that keeps bacteria from sticking to the walls of your bladder and urinary tract. So cool. So whether you have a UTI or are susceptible and just want to keep things at bay before it happens, Urinary X may be the solution for you. I've personally taken it and love these capsules. Life Seasons is offering a special discount to all my listeners for this or any of their amazing clean supplements. Just head on over to lifeseasons.com and enter code DIGEST at checkout. That's lifeseasons.com and use code DIGEST. So then fast forward, you you had mentioned everything cleared in about 30 days after you went on this strict diet. Can you share what you did? Yeah, we found the paleo diet. (laughs) Back then, I think it was Rob Wolf and Lauren Cordain, of course. uh, But I just cut out all processed foods. And everyone at that time thought it was so extreme and crazy. But I was pretty desperate. And so was my husband. And so I also avoided gluten and dairy and beans and processed foods. And so pretty much I'm eating fruits and vegetables and really high quality animal products. And that was kind of it. And so it really worked quickly for me. And I know that now I have a little more leeway, but just mining the quality, uh, always sticking to whole foods and significantly limiting if forever uh, processed foods, not forever, but at that time for that 30 day period. Uh, really helped. That's amazing. Well, I'm so glad you're doing so much better now. It seems like you're thriving. And uh, just quick question. Do you still, do you have a little dairy now and then now? Like, can you? Yes. I love that question. I just got back from vacation where I did. I love a little cheese. And when I go on vacation, I have it. And it's, it's this funny thing I've noticed, even with people I work with, when your immune system or when you are more relaxed, like in vacation state, the way that you (laughs) Our respond to foods, it changes, right? Because it's not only about the food, it's about the interaction, the food and your body and your current state of health. So yes, of course. And I do, even in my working life, if I'm like, oh, I just really like some nachos or whatever, I'll make it happen. I'll just space it out by four days. Sometimes I'll take a few extra enzymes. I don't want to live a super austere and strict lifestyle. So I will have those foods excluding gluten. I don't really eat gluten anymore, but, but everything else comes in from time to time. I just do it in a way that I know my body will be able to cope. And I just support my body and do it in a time-controlled manner. I love that and agree 100% that when you are more relaxed, you're happier, you're not stressed. I, from Speaking from a personal experience, like my digestion is so much more on point, you know, and it's said that you are not supposed to eat when you are stressed. To me, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, you would see a lot of people at, right after a workout, they just got done with a workout and they're going to 
you know, uh, eat a, a huge meal because they just got done with a workout. And this is just my personal opinion, but your body's still like in that, you know, fight or flight mode. Yeah, Bethany, I did an eating psychology training, actually. They've done research where they put people like a dichotomous listening task. Do you know what that is? It's like where someone's, it's kind of like having kids where one person is saying something in one ear and someone else is saying something else in the other ear. So it's just a very stressful state. And they find that they can actually shut down absorption completely in certain instances. And even when you're just watching TV, they've done research to show eating in a distracted stress state significantly reduces the amount of nutrients that you're going to absorb and the way that your body's going to handle that. And I think if anyone can do one thing differently, and myself included, it's just bringing more awareness to the table, slowing down and eating at times, like you said, when you're actually in a relaxed state uh, will make a huge difference for people. Yeah. 1000%. Um, All right. So let's talk a little bit about meat because I mean, I don't even know if there's like really a big segue, but meat is a huge part of your business and obviously a part of your healing journey. Why are so many people afraid of meat? Yeah, it's, it's it's fascinating. I just kind of dove deeply into this research and I had uh, Belinda Fetke on my podcast. Are you familiar with her work? No, but now I need to check her out. You do. So her husband, Gary Fetke, was silenced. He became one of the only medical doctors ever silenced from talking about nutrition because he told his diabetic patients whom he was amputating that they could avoid sugar. Maybe she should. Maybe it would make an impact. And so the dietitians at his hospital reported him to the medical board. And he, his wife was like, why? Why why in the midst of such profound and um, convincing science about low carbohydrates for, you know, different ailments, diabetes being one of them, why was there such this backlash? And she, it came down to, you know, ideology and to business and to some bad research. But one of the very interesting origins is Seventh-day Adventist Ellen White believed that the Garden of Eden diet was one that included, you know, nuts, seeds, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, but very little, if any, meat. And she taught that, that meat aroused passions and maybe sexual desires, and those were sinful. And so one of her students, actually, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, came in and created the processed cereal industry, Kellogg's, cornflakes, um, trying to help prevent children from masturbating, which is interesting. So, and these, the Seventh-day Adventists uh, later founded the Dietetics Association and they have a heavy hand in uh, medical education today and in our nation's dietary guidelines. And so uh, religious ideology was one. And then we had um, Crisco, in the early 1900s, there was William Proctor and James Gamble had the surplus of cotton seed oil, and they decided, well, when we hydrogenate it, which means turn a liquid fat into a solid fat, it kind of looks like lard. And so even though there's no scientific substantiation whatsoever about the health claims, they decided, let's put out this beautiful cookbook and convince American women that it, this would be a liberating endeavor for them. They wouldn't have to churn butter and it's going to be a healthier, cleaner alternative to lard. And they, I mean, they did American women and kitchens. They started using it. We now know the way it was originally formulated, have 50% trans fat and trans fats now banned in our food supply. It, according to the World Health Organization, is responsible for hundreds of thousands of deaths every year. I think they estimate about 500,000 deaths. And so, yeah, so we didn't understand that we needed to substantiate these novel food things. And that was one of them. And then um, Ansel Keys did some research. He started in 1953 with the six country study where it looked like the more fat you ate, the higher your risk for heart disease. And he made a very compelling case, but some statisticians came in and actually reanalyzed the data and looked at the 22 countries for which data was actually available and found you often hear that there was no association. And that isn't true. There was, it was weaker. But the really interesting thing was that when you looked at diseases from all other causes of mortality, it seemed that animal fats and animal protein, they were actually protective. And so we didn't listen to that message. And there was another researcher named John Yudkin who was looking at sugar as a maybe more powerful um, risk factor for heart disease. But because Ansel Keys was such a powerful personality, he kind of ridiculed Yudkin and the scientific community just was 
very much persuaded by Ansel Keys and our dietary recommendations were created around reducing fat and saturated fats. And, um, and of course, meat products often contain saturated fats. And the sugar industry actually saw an opportunity here and funded some research to exonerate sugar and to blame saturated fat. So there's, a, and then of course we have plant-based burgers coming on the market <laughs> and yeah. we have very powerful people like Bill Gates invested in them, lots of money behind them. And um, so a lot of different factors, but I'm scared that we will, yeah, we will eventually fear a food that we've been eating for 2.6 million years rather than the foods that we have just started using like processed foods and vegetable oils and all these other novel foods that I think should far um, be more likely to be the culprit that we should be fearing far more. Autumn, you hit on so many good points and I, I want to like actually touch on a few if you don't mind. Um, so the one thing that you did mention and I want people to know is funding on different um, studies. You know, you really want to look at who funded this and is it in the funder's favor, you know, or was it an independent study or X, Y, Z, because that's so important. Um, and then, you know, I like you were saying the everything went like low fat and then the sugar industry and what do you have to replace, you know, the fat, because fat is flavor, sugar, right? To uh, combat that. Um and that's, we all know that now that sugar feeds just so many different um, diseases now, If obviously refined sugar. But um, you had mentioned Kellogg. Can you explain exactly cornflakes, really why they were invented? It was John Harvey Kellogg. He worked closely with Ellen G. White and she believed that masturbation was so sinful that it was basically like killing yourself. Like you were just... Uh, and so there is something to it. I'm sure that meat will provide vitamins and nutrients that will make you more, you know, reproductive, more fertile or something, but they noticed this association. And so Dr. John Harvey Kellogg uh, was decided to create flaked corn and flaked wheat so that people could replace meat in their diet with these cereals. And he actually created the first meat alternative called protose as well. And they were working, he was working in sanitariums where they were taking people who were not well and bringing them into this spa-like experience. And he was seeing great results when they were eating these foods. And so essentially at their core, they were a way to help people not eat meat so that they could prevent masturbation and these sinful desires. It's crazy, you know, and now, now we look at the marketing and, you know, it's a huge industry, but yeah, I mean, meat, will probably regulate, help regulate your hormones. You know what I mean? And so there's <laughs> things that trickle down from good hormones, right? Um, but let's talk about the benefits of meat. Yeah, I think this is so important too. Mostly because uh, with the women that I work with and with myself, I think this was a huge part in my healing journey was I didn't, I was never someone who ate a lot of meat. I think I had low levels of hydrochloric acid and I don't think I digested it well, which made me believe that it was probably not something for my body. But my, first of all, most of us are not metabolically healthy, which is really, really sad. And so taking meat out of the diet what are you going to replace it with? Usually it's more carbohydrates, more processed foods, and that's going to set us up for more metabolic dysfunction and this blood sugar roller coaster that can lead to insulin resistance. And also protein, even when you compare it to plant-based protein, meat, it has a better amino acid profile. They are complete proteins, whereas plant proteins often miss certain amino acids, often lysine, methionine, cysteine. And so it kind of limits the amount of amino acids you can use total. And yes, you absolutely can combine them. A lot of people do, but you're going to end up eating a lot more calories. If you're looking for 20 to 30 grams of protein from meat, you're going to look at 100 to 200 calories. But from plant-based sources, it can be you know 300, 400, sometimes up to 600 calories. And another thing, a reason meat's so important is that it has nutrients that are not available in plant foods. So B12, DHA, um, calcium is more bioavailable. And so when we're eliminating that entire food group, we, we don't get a chance to get those nutrients. There's actual evidence in children of irreversible harm uh, when you don't eat meat and even after you add it back in. So uh, children have those critical windows. And so for kids not to eat meat, I think is, is a really scary uh, experiment 
that um, unfortunately some people are undertaking. I, I understand your reasons. You know, you all have your reasons, but I just always like to mention that. But the big thing is protein is a very satiating macronutrient. Even just increasing the percentage in your diet just a little bit can help you eat fewer calories. You'll feel better. You will build better body composition. And I just think when we talk about eliminating meat entirely, we are under eating protein often. And there was a recent study showing at least in older Americans, 40% of people are under eating protein. And as we age, protein becomes even more important, especially if we're not exercising uh, in terms of sarcopenia and falls, falls and um, bone health even. And so when we don't eat meat, I think we eliminate certain vitamins and nutrients. We're gonna eat a lot more calories in order to get the amount of protein that we want if we can do it at all, because sometimes it requires very a, a lot of attention and a lot of knowledge. And then we're probably going to eat more. Protein is the most satiating macronutrient. Um, we're probably not going to be able to build a body composition that we want. We might, but it, it will definitely be harder. We'll have more cravings. And I just think when I get women, people to aim for about 100 grams of protein, most of that from animal foods, really high quality ones, of course, um, is often very, very, um, it's like transformational for them. They, it, they can't believe how they're satiated and how easy it is, how they don't have to eat all the time, how their cravings disappear and just how they can build better body composition and maintain more lean muscle mass. Yeah, I, I mean, I 100% agree with just it being, you're super satisfied, right? And rarely do you, uh, it's really hard to eat, to overeat meat, I find, you know, like you're not going to sit down and eat, you know, two or three things of salmon or like, you know, five burger patties, but you can easily eat an entire bag of chips, you know. Fast, have you heard of the protein leverage hypothesis? No. Can you explain it? Yeah, it's what you're talking about. Kind of. There's... um people believe that we are actually eating for amino acids because amino acids often uh, were kind of indicative of a lot of nutrient density. And so we will eat until we achieve that level of amino acids, meaning if we don't eat enough protein, we will eat more calories because of it. We will search for that amino acids, those amino acids in other foods um, and Research has kind of shown that we eat a lot more processed food or more calories when we're eating processed foods and protein when we're eating adequate amounts, it just kind of shuts off those cravings and induces satiety, just like you're saying. Yeah. And I think a lot of women think that, oh, meat will make me bulky or gain weight or gain more muscle. And I just, that's simply just not true. No. And if you listen to someone like Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's a wonderful protein researcher. And she said, it's really hard to get that bulky, right? First of all, like as a fitness trainer, I'll tell you, it's it's really, really difficult. But also as you age, you want more lean muscle mass because that's kind of your reservoir when they say like, you're going to get sick and you, you fall and then you get pneumonia. When you get older, you want that lean muscle mass as a reserve so that you can actually draw from it if you do need to re repair tissues and rebuild. And so um, not eating enough protein to build that is actually very detrimental later in life. Inflammation can be the root cause of several ailments in the body, including migraines, arthritis, joint pain, and even digestive issues. One of the most widely used and ancient remedies for inflammation is actually olive oil. But not all olive oil is the same, and many of them are almost two years old by the time they get to the store shelves and into your home. And for many olive oil companies, it's cheaper to buy last year's harvest from farmers and bottle that up and sell it rather than buying the latest harvest. Once I switched to Cassandrino's organic extra virgin olive oil, I immediately tasted and even felt a difference. There was even a time I had a sore throat, so I took a spoon of Cassandrino's olive oil and it instantly soothed my throat. It literally has medicinal properties and I tell all my friends and family about it. This oil is not sold in stores, however, and that's for a reason. The owner decided to only sell direct to consumers to ensure each person was getting the freshest oil possible limiting the time their oil sits on any store shelves and under fluorescent lighting. 
Cassandrino's oil is also pressed and bottled all within 24 hours of hand picking. So no machinery is used. And it's shipped all the way from Greece to the USA within two weeks. Talk about fresh. But the benefits go far beyond inflammation. And I can only say so much before you try it for yourself and experience what I am actually talking about. So the owner of Cassandrinos is offering my listeners 25% off your entire order. Just head on over to Cassandrinos.com and enter code DIGEST. That's K-A-S-A-N-D-R-I-N-O-S.com and use code DIGEST for 25% off. Let's talk about the quality of meat because I feel like that does... Um, play a huge part. Um, and, you know, let's talk about also um, different methods of agriculture. Yes. Okay. So first I'll say some of the things I think we could be doing better. And that's when you walk into a grocery store, 95% of the products you see are raised in confinement. And we know there are animal welfare issues associated with confinement. We've we've all seen the pictures. It's something I feel very strongly about. I think that's one of the main reasons we started our companies. But then we also have environmental concerns, right? In a well-managed pastoral or pasture-based system, the manure is actually an asset, but when it's produced in these huge amounts, it overwhelms the land, it creates air pollution, it gets into our waterways. And um, so even um, people who are working on or living near CAFOs have higher rates of asthma and respiratory issues. And then we have like the additives. We're using antibiotics, which could create antibiotic resistance. We have something called ractopamine, which is banned in like 150 other countries, but still used here. Um, and then finally, we have the social impact. I think in, when America was formed, we had 50% of its population working in uh, food production. And now we have these gigantic companies who own a lot of our food production systems. And that's really scary because people in far off countries, CEOs, a handful of them are making these decisions to outsource pollution to your community. And then you and that community are dealing with the results. And there's a, a different level of investment and in pride in animal products when it is raised you know, locally. And, and we learn in COVID, right? Food sovereignty, it really matters. We need to have really healthy food systems um, in our different bioregions. So quality matters because, you know, it changes the nutrient profile of the product. But first, maybe we should talk about the different kinds of production systems. We talked about confinement and then there's grass-fed operations. So there's a lot of different flavors here. I'm not going to bore you going into the detail, but a lot of times they're grass-fed in the first part of their lives and then they're fed grain at the end. And for poultry production, it's even worse. Cage-free, free-range, we'll get into it, but- Yeah, let's of, like, do it. Trickery there, yeah, in the way they're raised. And then we have regeneratively raised animal products, which is what I've learned um, are kind of the best way to go in terms of definitely the environment. And we can talk about that, but also in terms of, you know, farmer livelihood as well. And then there's really interesting research about- the nutrient levels changing and this varies based on species but pretty clear trends that you know vitamin a and e and antioxidants increase when animals are eating grass and in beef sometimes some studies show minerals um, and vitamins are changing our pig farmer actually ran an experiment where he put different pigs on pasture, a certain genetic type, and did 50% on pasture or 100% and showed that normal pork has an inflammatory ratio of 35 to 1 for omega-6s to omega-3 fatty acids. And we know our ancestors had a ratio more like 4 to 1 or 1 to 1. And that when we have this balanced, unbalanced ratio, it might create more inflammation in the body, which we know is a foundation of diseases. And he found that you can just cut that ratio down to five to one by just giving um, the animals fully grass-based um, pasture, a little bit of grain because they are monogastric and they have to eat grain. And then they could cut that ratio in half with just 50% of their diet. So there's also things called secondary compounds, which a lot of new emerging research around has been showing terpenoids, carotenoids, phenols, these 
typically plant-based nutrients, it appears that the more grass and the more diverse forages that they're fed, the higher the levels of these nutrients, um, which have anti-diabetic, anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antiviral properties. And so that's really, really exciting. And I'm actually going to be part of a, a research project for my dissertation where we look at um, post meal inflammatory responses, which everybody, when we eat, we have an inflammatory response after the meal. And do, does it change based on how the animals were raised? There was a really cool trial in Australia looking at uh, wild kangaroo meat versus um, meat beef raised in confinement. And they found when you eat the wild kangaroo meat, your inflammation after a meal is much lower. But Dr. Van Vliet is going to, and I'll be working with him, um, look at what happens when we eat conventionally raised beef, what happens when we eat regeneratively raised beef, and what happens when we eat plant-based burgers. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Levels of inflammation after. So- Moral of the story, it, it and and all of the other things, ractobamine, you know, pesticides, antibiotics, those are not being used as well in the regenerative systems. Yeah, well, I'm gonna have to have you back for a, a, a follow up because I'm super interested in the results uh, from this study. So please do keep me in the loop on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like you said, so the nutrients are obviously completely different from, you know, beef that's been uh, pasture, grass-fed, raised versus just um, a cow that's just been in a feedlot, you know, and just eating grains and, and so forth. Yeah, you'd see see levels of uh, fatty acids will change and antioxidant levels often change. It's, it's interesting because a lot of the nutrients don't change, but it does seem secondary compounds, antioxidants and fatty acid levels in terms of like omega-3 fatty acids are definitely higher. The ratio is often better. There's a really cool fatty acid called CLA, conjugated lilac acid, which has been shown to have anti-diabetic and um, heart disease protective effects that definitely increases. And then there's a really interesting new piece of research I'm following. This is so nerdy, but there's EPA, DHA, and then there's one called DPA. And these are these long chain omega-3 fatty acids that are linked to, you know, anti-thrombotic effects or anti-triglyceride effects. And it, it appears that levels of DPA increase a lot when the animals are fed grass. And DPA is now being studied. There's a few drugs being created out of it. Uh, it seems that it might be as important as these other two long chain fatty acids, but just kind of neglected um, in terms of research. And so I'm really excited to get in there and kind of ascertain, are these levels increasing precipitously? And what does that mean for human health? Because I, I think we might be excited by the findings. Yeah, I, I, I'm I totally nerding out with you right now too. So I know my listeners are too. <laughs> and so sorry. <laughs> no, I love it, man. I could talk about this forever. Uh, I mean, it's often heard that it's not the cow, but the how. And also, you know, regenerative farming, it's so much better for the planet, the animal, our own health. I mean, it goes full circle. And so I think the idea that people think meat is harming the planet or, you know, cows are harming the planet and they're, you know, farting everywhere. I don't know. I just think that's, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Well, there's so many misconceptions around that, right? And they've they've come out with some like livestock long livestock's long shadow. It was a report in 2006 that came out and said that livestock were for, responsible for more emissions than the whole transportation sector. But when you broke down this report, it wasn't a full accounting on both cases, right? They looked at the feed and the production and the processing for cattle and livestock, but then they only looked at tailpipe emissions. For the transportation sector and so they rebuked that basically they uh, took that off off the table and we now know that you know 4.7 percent of emissions are crop agriculture around 3.9 for livestock so that's that often surprises people that more are attributable to plant um, agriculture than to animal agriculture and cows are two percent and that's not nothing and regenerative agriculture can definitely improve that because Instead of a conventional system where they're in confinement, we're using a set of principles that actually brings carbon into the ground and traps it, which is where we needed to go in order to begin drawdown or that process where we bring the levels of atmospheric carbon back to pre-industrial levels. And the coolest part that I just have to share is down at White Oak Pastures in Georgia, Bill Harris did some research and looked at and compared his system, which is a regenerative system uh, versus conventional systems. And what found that 
carbon sequestration of, I think, 3.5 pounds per pound of beef produced in that system, meaning it was a net positive, meaning it was taking carbon out of the atmosphere and trapping it underground. Now, when you compare that to other analyses like conventional beef burgers, it's a 33 pound increase in the amount of carbon per pound. Even pork is a nine uh, per pound and chicken and even soy is two. And these impossible burgers, these new meat burgers, um, four. And this is all emissions, except for that regenerative system, which was a net positive for the environment. So in other words, you'd have to eat a plant-based or I'm sorry, regeneratively raised burger to offset your emissions for every plant-based burger that you're consuming. So there's so much nuance in this conversation. Oftentimes the numbers that you're being told um, are misrepresented and regenerative agriculture of 80 ways to mitigate climate change. Um, in this book called Project Drawdown by Paul Hawken, he said regenerative agriculture is the number one solution. So I want to ask too, if you can explain a little bit, um, you had mentioned grass-fed, um, that they can have grains for the last part of their life. Can So can you um, differ, differentiate grass-fed versus grass-finished? Yes, it's so important because there's even been analysis. So basically all cows begin their life on pasture. It's that's just how it is. And then sometimes they're set, sent off to feedlots for the last, you know, 90 or 100 or sometimes more than that days of their life and then fed grain or total mixed rations, corn and soy. And this changes, you know, not only the nutritional profiles we talked about, but we are raising that food, right? Using fertilizer that creates runoff, right? You know, a lot of times it's genetically modified agriculture. And so, and then we are transporting that to a different location from where it's raised. And so the, the footprint for that um, it is considerable. Now on a regeneratively raised system, you're moving the animals around on pasture based is a very managed system so that they are stimulating the grass and they're fertilizing the grass with their manure there. And those, the grass is actually acting like a little straw and sucking carbon out of the atmosphere and trapping it. And when animals, you know, stimulate that grass growth, they allow carbon to be trapped, but then they don't overgraze it, which is often another common problem. Continuous grazing can still destroy the environment. So these ranchers, they're like little scientists. They have this whole protocol. They move them around. They're often not using antibiotics and pesticides. Um, and then they are increasing the biodiversity and using cover crops. And there's just, and there's taking context into consideration, of course, because every farm and area is very, very different. And so basically they're working like as ecological doctors. And one of our farmers teaches me has told me that you on his property it's like every different paddock has a different personality and so this type of farming is basically like creating a friendship with the earth and understanding that as very basis if we degrade the soil and the quality of the ecosystem um, our health is going to suffer our food production is going to suffer our atmosphere is going to suffer and so it's a movement away from chemical and extractive agriculture which is dominated our production systems for the last few decades and a movement towards an agricultural system that prioritizes biology. And the difference that I think is really important um, that really helped change my mind about this is a lot of people are looking at organic and sustainable methods as the way forward, but we have already degraded about 70% of the soils on our planet and we have 60 years of topsoil left by some estimates. So if we sustain this, we can see a day where our kids can't actually raise food anymore. So regenerative is by its very definition, bringing something to a higher or more worthy state. And so we have to look beyond uh, sustainable and we have to move towards this regenerative method in order to create the kind of change that will allow future generations to produce food and to have nutrient dense food and for our atmosphere to heal and to maintain biodiversity and to maintain water holding capacity. There are so many gifts in regenerative agriculture when we understand that we can't separate our health from the planet. And if we're degrading our planet, we are degrading our own health. Can you help the listeners? I mean, not everyone, you know, can uh, grasp like so much. What are some like tricky labels that, you know, people can look for and what should they be looking for when looking at meat, you know, grass fed, grass finished, organic, you know, et cetera. I honestly, I'm of the opinion that 
Animal products are important in your diet, no matter what. And so you do what you can do, right? You purchase the quality um, that you can afford. But there are some definite trickery and tricky labels out there. The first one is just when you're ter- looking for poultry, pasture raised is a great way to go. Cage free and free range are often not what you think they are. Cage free just means you know they are. They could possibly, they probably are in a huge warehouse um, with thousands of other birds, not even seeing the light of day. There might be a door that they don't even know exists. So free range and cage free are, you know, often very tricky labels. And so pasture raised is the good way to go. Pastured pork is also often the best. And and I'll teach you where you can get it. It's harder to find, uh, but when you can find it, uh, you know, local farm, farmer's market, inquire about their practices. um, That's the way to go. And then when it comes to beef, Grass-fed is not regulated. They kind of stopped regulating it back in 2016. But there's the American Grass-Fed Association. And they come on the farms and they check things out and they make sure that they're following the practices. They're not allowing them to consume anything other than grain. They're not using antibiotics. They're... um, And then, of course, you want to take animal welfare into consideration. So something like certified humane, if that's really important to you, a third party certification is great there. Know that organic beef is going to be better in terms of, um, you know, I can use antibiotics and things like that, but grains can still be used as their feed. And so their fatty acid profile can change. They can also spend a certain percentage of their time in confinement. And so it just depends on your priorities. But when I go to the store, I often look for pastured poultry and pork and then regeneratively raised beef. If you can find it, um, wild pastures, our company provides that for everyone, very accessible. But also if you look for the American grass fed association, they're a third party certification that I, I very much trust and then certified humane. If, if that's an issue for you, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Like I said, and you don't have to be perfect about this all the time. I think eating meat is more important than, you know, having processed foods. If you have to take a choice, obviously yeah. you just want to have animal products, the higher, quality you can afford, the better. Right. First of all, yeah. I mean, first of all, going back to basics, real food, like number one, real food, right? Um, And then second too, I think this is, I guess, my personal opinion. I would personally choose, if I had to choose between organic versus grass-fed, I would want the grass-fed. I mean, because I'm, you're assuming, I mean, you can't always assume. That's why you really want to know where your meat is coming from. But grass-fed could still have antibiotics. Am I, am I correct? Yeah, it's funny. Not with the AGA certification. And yeah, there will be, but yeah, I think grass-fed producers could use antibiotics. And it's funny and also sad that I just read a report that even 15% of the animals in this raised without antibiotics um, designation still had antibiotics in their urine. And so, yes, if you know the farmers, uh, you, that is your best case scenario, but I oftentimes grass-fed producers aren't using them, you know, they're, they're not, that's, that's what I've, and a lot of times, um, grass-fed producers are doing things, a lot of things in alignment with organic certification anyway. They just don't want to have to pay the exorbitant cost. Um, so yes, I would agree. That is yeah. that is what I always go for before organic beef for sure. Yeah. And I know that too, that a lot of smaller companies, you know, when you see an organic certification, that's great. But smaller companies, to get that certification, they have to pay to get that. And so some companies can't afford it. So even though they are doing, you know, their due diligence and doing right by us, they just can't afford to to pay for that stamp, you know, which is unfortunate. Um, and, you know, grass fed versus grass finished. If it says grass finished, it means it's fed grass the entire life. And grass fed doesn't always mean that because they are essentially fattened up the first last months of their life with grains. Is that, is that correct? Right. Okay. Yes. Grass fed fed and finished or, you know, the American grass fed association will ensure that they're eating grass throughout the entirety of their lives, but, and not being sent to feedlots, but Mm -hmm. you can't necessarily say that for just a grass fed label that doesn't have third party certification. Exactly. Have you seen the documentary, um, super size me Two, the second one? I haven't. Is it awesome? Oh my goodness. Okay. So you have to, you have to watch it. Super Size Me 2. Um, if you haven't seen the first one, it was about him, just background story. You know, he uh, had, he, I think he ate McDonald's for like a year or something. I, I can't remember. Um, so he's back. And the second one is he's 
wanting to open up his own like fast food restaurant and he's looking into like how to raise chickens, right? And so the reason I'm bringing this up is he uh, wanted to have his own like chicken farm, I guess, and wanted to make them uh, free range. After going through everything, he tried to see, okay, what do I need to do to make them free range? And basically the only little thing that he had to change was give them a tiny little space outside of this barn. And technically that's now free range. And it was like a two by two feet, like something ridiculous. Uh, and he shows other other places too where, you know, they are really even free range uh, or even cage free is just, you know, they're still like, there's, I don't know, inches between them and they're just stuffed. No daylight, no sun, like nothing. So to your point, you know, uh, pasture raised eggs, pasture raised chicken, that is definitely um, a huge, uh, huge difference from free range even. Yes. Those regulations, they're just, there's yeah. great intentions and then just kind of like poor execution. And oftentimes people are, it's like an affidavit, like what kind of practices are you using? You know, no one's really guaranteeing and, and oftentimes free range, like you said, it can be just a cement plot. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, that's ridiculous. But um, so that's why it is really good to know where your meat and protein is coming from and get to know your farmer. And I know you uh, have wild pastures. Tell us about that. This is when my son was born, Maverick. So when we started Paleo Valley, we went with a meat stick because I learned about this research suggesting, you know, beef in particular was protective against mental health. And we we established these relationships with these amazing farmers who become like family. And they were teaching us about the different flavors of animal husbandry and how regenerative methods were really potent and powerful. And I kept telling my clients, go find regenerative meat. And they're like, where? And, and even when I find it, it's really expensive. And it just seemed like a whole to do that most people don't have time for. So what we did was we partnered with these farmers because they don't know, they didn't want to market themselves. They want to spend time with the animals and, and experiment on their you know land. And then we just decided to make their regeneratively raised products available at wholesale prices. And another important thing to us was that they're actually raised in America. So most of the grass-fed beef in America is imported. It's coming from places like New Zealand. And, and I think I understand why people are doing that because they're waking up to the nuances. But when we are, we're missing an opportunity to regenerate the land in America. And so everything we source is from American regenerative farms. And it's at wholesale prices. It's it's 44% uh, more uh, or less cost than other meat delivery services. It's all domestic and it's all regenerative, which I don't know that you can say that about um, any other service that I know of. Yeah, it's amazing. And I love what you're doing. And what exactly do you guys offer? Yeah, so you can go and you can get different boxes. There's 15 pounds, 25 pounds. You have pastured poultry, pork and chicken and also um, seafood. And you get to customize the box. And, you know, we have steaks and we have pork roast and we have this incredible breakfast sausage. It's so good, of course, and whole chickens. And, you know, you can just kind of mix and match whatever you want. And you can get it every three months or every month. Or, you know, you can kind of customize that as well, like how often you want it delivered. And uh, I've pretty much just, we also have like a little regenerative cookbook. And so it's different sometimes to cook regeneratively raised meats. Um, they're leaner and they just require a little bit of different, some different tweaks. And so we um, have a cookbook for that too, but I eat exclusively that meat and I find it so incredibly satisfying um, and just easy. It shows up on your doorstep. You don't have to think about a bunch of stuff and um, you can feed your family for uh, in an affordable way. And by products that may align with your values, which is really, really cool. Yeah. And I personally can even tell the taste difference. It's just amazing, just the taste alone. And so Wild Pastures um, and Paleo Valley is the the sister company, right? With with Wild Pastures and you guys have meat sticks and like I eat them and I turned my uh, boyfriend's family onto them and then they they had a friend and they turned you know their friends onto these meat sticks and uh, and I love you know I love that and um, the difference between your meat sticks and others I would say too is first of all the ingredients but also um, the taste and you you naturally ferment them correct yes we do and that was because when I went on this world tour. Um, 
And I took grass-fed beef sticks. This was before we had our company. And they still gave me a little bit of digestive stuff. And I was just like, what is up with that? So when we got back to America, I looked and there's this ingredient called um, um, encapsulated citric acid. And it's basically derived from uh, citric acid, which is GMO corn often. And then it's coated in hydrogenated oil. And then it melts into the sticks and it drops the pH. And this preserves it. And this is the industry standard. And I can't necessarily say that was definitely causing my digestive issues, but it was just ingredients like that, that I was like, huh, we can probably do better without that, right? And without the MSG and without the gluten. And so we decided to ferment them because it's an age old method of preservation, something our ancestors had been using. It takes four times longer. So most most manufacturers do not want to do it. But I just kind of came with this vision of we want to create like meat products that are actually prioritizing health. And they do have a little snap. They're like those, I have a Polish friend who says they're like those kielbasas and like the hickory smoked summer sausages you kind of get around Christmas time. So yeah, they're a little bit, I hate to say moist because that's not the right word. I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking moist because they're, they're juicy. Juicy. I like juicy. I know people don't love moist. Juicy is much better. Yeah. Yeah. But not like water's going to fling out or anything. Just a little tenderness. They have a little tenderness. Tender, yeah. Tender. And then we have five different flavors. And and yeah, basically we created a meat stick with the really high quality beef, like you were saying, it tastes different. And then all we added was organic spices. And then no sugar or all the other additives that you'll often find in a meat stick. Because why do you need that? Um, And yeah, I'm glad you like them because we love them too. Yeah. Well, and I love just, you know, meeting someone that really does have a passion for what they do, you know, is just so refreshing. So I love seeing that from you. So thank you. Thanks. Yeah. I would never have said my life would end in beef stick manufacturing. And, but, but Hey, like, yeah, it is when you take into consideration all of the good that can come from doing it well. um, I'm, I'm excited about it too. And thank you for that. Yeah. So where can people find you, Autumn? You can paleovalley.com, wildpastures.com. You can reach at me um, at autumn at paleovalley.com. You can always ask questions. And we also just started our first uh, restaurant, our first brick and mortar. So there's no sugar in the whole place. All regeneratively raised meat. The fries are cooked in tallow. We have gluten-free options. It's called Wild Pastures Burger Company. And we just opened it in Boulder a few months ago. And it's going really well. So if you're in that area... Okay, well, you have to tell me when you're going to open one here in SoCal. (laughs) (laughs) I think that would definitely be a market we're interested in and we hope to franchise eventually. So I will definitely let you know. For sure. Well, thank you so much, Autumn, for coming on the show. I had an amazing time and uh, we'll talk again soon. Yeah, thanks, Bethany. This has been wonderful. Thanks for listening to this episode of Digest This. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let us know. If you're ever wondering how you can support me and this podcast, sharing it with your friends and family is the best way. This is a resonant media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Chris McCone. To email the show, message us at digestthispod at gmail.com. See you next time. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical and mental health advice and does not constitute a provider-patient relationship. As always, talk to your doctor or health team first.